Hello and welcome to Tabletop Treasures, your podcast for everything tabletop. I'm Kieran. I'm Ryan. And we're going to take you through a lovely world of uh, things that we find interesting in tabletop, I guess. Mm-hmm. So first up on the block today, I've got a lovely little character creator that I want to go through. Uh, so in character creator, we yeah we um. I want to start explaining what the sections are before we start just diving in. Character creator, we create a character that uh, a player could play, a DM or GM could throw in at the players. Um, so what this is going to be, um, I want to go through making a sidekick or a little brother to one of the main heroes, and they come okay. in at a lower level. Um I was thinking about this for a while because I had a, had a friend play and his partner wanted to play. Um, now, I know a lot of people will be like, oh, you've got to bring them in at the same level. She didn't want to come in with like 400 spells and abilities and like, wh- like what am I doing? Yeah, right. So essentially what it was was uh my friend was a captain of the town guard or something um or a very equivalent to that like he was a hero of the town like he organized their guard and stuff um and she came in as a new recruit like through the story and i think we ended up they were like level 5 and she came in at level 2 so like not level 1 cuz that's really rough um, but yeah, coming in at level two and what that allowed them to do is they, they came in, I think it was with a ranger class. So just very basic, like they, was it ranger or druid? I think it was ranger cause they used a bow. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, ranger and they wanted to essentially just attack things and sort of learn the game. And doing that from a lower level is easier. And like, if you if you want to join like your partner's campaign, sort of thing, um, and you've never played, especially D anD D, which is quite rules heavy, which is what we were doing, uh, is very difficult. So my idea for a character for this is going to be, um, let's say you've got an adventuring party. Because the, the town guard ones very specifically that worked within the story, but I think what could work for any party is uh, the little brother or sister of someone like they they finally become of age and they're like I want to go adventuring with my big bro or sister or whatever or 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 dad or something maybe you're like a forty year old adventurer and your kids just like I'm joining. I think the dad angle is cute. You don't see that as often. Yeah, so I think that would be a cool dynamic especially for the party um so what are your thoughts on it okay so you mentioned very briefly that some people are very opposed to the idea of running characters player characters at different levels yes Um, i think that's growing more common i think the use of especially in something like 5e the use of milestone leveling is becoming a hell of a lot more common in every Um, single one of my campaigns now i do milestone leveling um, uh, yeah. XP, like it made people feel good after each session, but like people would, it changed how people would play and they're like, what gives me the most XP? Yeah. It, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, um, I've, I've seen 
so much commentary to that effect. Um, I also do milestone, so I can't really speak to XP that much. Um, you, it's sort of like you, if you don't want to play that old fashioned game, you do need to have some sort of caveat. So, well, you can't kill however many thousand rats it takes to get to level twenty. You that just doesn't count after a certain point or whatever. But my, what I'm asking here, I guess, is let's say you're doing milestone leveling, and let's say this player wants to come in at an earlier level because they find it all a bit overwhelming and stuff. Um, would you have that player sit at the lower level for the rest of the campaign? Would there be some sort of uh, enhanced like catch-up, accelerated catch-up? So the way I what did do you it reckon? Yep. was enhanced, uh, a bit of enhanced catch-up. So their milestone okay. wasn't like, so everyone else's milestone was like, all right, they defeated the Goblin King of uh, Galatrax Fort or something like that. Yeah, yeah fuck that guy. For the trainee, it was like, all right, you go up to level three when your characters overcome like a personal like thing. Like maybe it was a session where they on their first, like their, sorry, in a session where for their first time they went off on their own to like kill someone and they feel like they really did something, like earned something in combat. I did a lot of like little milestones like that. Mm-hmm. And I with, only did them when they were comfortable in, enough with the rules. Uh, the rules, the rules are a big point. Which, but that narratively makes sense, right? Because a less experienced adventurer is going to have more milestones because smaller things are going to be more significant. So I guess exactly, yeah, a little level up to catch up. That's nice. So, so they eventually caught up with their with their uh, other player. We didn't play long enough for them to catch up. Because obviously the the other the parties um, leveling up at the same time, so I think they started level two and everyone else is level six. I think everyone else got to level nine and they got to level seven. That's quite a gap as well. But that Um, is quite a catch up. Like the difference between seven and nine compared to the difference between two and seven. Yeah, like two. Yeah, two um, and seven is quite drastic. So. Essentially what it would normally be, I think by the time they got to level four or five, I would level them up when the party also had their milestones because, like, they had been an adventurer for a while. So, mm-hmm. like, killing the big white wolf is as much to them as it is to everybody else. But I would just give them other small chances to do things that would level them up as well. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way of running it. Um, my players are always asking me after each session when they're leveling up and I tell them they can level up and they learn the fucking rules. I love it. <laughs> and, and, and and so far, I mean, we'll see. We've been playing for three years and they're at level like six, so they'll, they'll fucking get there one day maybe. Um, but I like the idea of this. I like the idea of smaller milestones. Um, you, I love you could tie milestones in like, right with their companion character, surely, like little things they do. Like their older brother being proud of them could be a milestone that could result in oh. a level up. This is fantasy, but it's not that kind of fantasy. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think that worked really well. I think I, I think it's very good for either someone who's like really into role playing and wanted to role play that dynamic, but especially like trying to bring a friend or a new person in because it could definitely like be intimidating rolling a level five. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think it's even think more it- intimidating if like, because some people just like wizards and sorcerers and they're like, I want to be that. And rolling a level five, no, no, no. one of those, you just be like, I, I 
don't have any idea what's going on. Well, You've given me true. a it's- list of 20 spells. I don't know what any of them do. What's a cantrip? Uh, like, <laughs> I think starting true. lower is really good. It's funny because so, the inverse set- is also true, right? Like uh, starting someone at level one as a wizard um, is also just can be a disaster because they don't have access to so many of their things. They're extremely squishy. Um, so I like yes. the idea. You said they start at level two here, and I think two or three. Yeah, That's why a lot of people start sucks. campaigns at three. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think you only start at level one these days. One, if it's not D&D and the level one's actually not shit. Um, and two, if they want to play that dynamic of like, all right, we're leaving the homestead. How do you yeah, fight? If, if they're really into it. If they really want an extremely dramatic fight with three goblins <laughs> on session I, one. I almost like do first milestone level of the first session or second session when they're level one because why wouldn't you? Yeah, why not? Um, but also, yeah, what I wanted to bring up, um, how how would you play this character? Because if you're versing the same sort of level creatures as what a fifth level party is doing, you're going to get hit real hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so how I ran it was that the players that were not the trainee could use a reaction to absorb a hit or defend or things like that. Okay. But they could only do it to the trainee. Right. So sort of defensive maneuvers. Yep. Um, I think that was a good way of like doing it. And as the, the GM as well, I just wouldn't target the level two with things. And I think that's fine anyway. Um, well, you could target them in ways that would allow these players to use the new mechanisms you've Did that. created. Also things like um, enemies aren't as dumb as everyone thinks. They're not just going to like fan out and go for everyone by one. Like they do do group tactics and they're like, who is the strongest? We need to get rid of like they do things like that. Um I have had players before say, oh, why are you ganging up on this person? I'm like, you're versing like a guard squad. Like they're not, they're not going to like not communicate and not try and come up with a plan to do things. I think sometimes people forget that. I do try and still make it fun. Um, but yeah, what I would use the enemy's intelligence to be like, oh, that person timidly holding a sword probably isn't a yeah, threat. We'll go attack the threat. They're not going to pick on the kid, are they? So that's how I tackled some of it. Yeah, right. And and I like that from a narrative perspective as well as a mechanical perspective because then you do have you do have that relationship in in the story with the older characters, the more experienced characters. They probably feel some sort of uh, desire to protect this kid who's just started off on their adventure. So you know, it has mechanical um, opportunities and and storytelling opportunities because um, if you're fighting an enemy that looks for the weakest to pick off, for example, you're going to get the party rallying around them to defend them, which is sort of an interesting dynamic in itself, especially in games where combat can be kind of cookie cutter after a while. Exactly. So I think, yeah, I think I think that was a good way to handle it. But you know, uh, yeah, listeners, like you can let me know if you disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you would add to making this 
really good. Would you ever play a character that was like a sidekick or a trainee? Um, look, this is a tangent, and I don't think we have enough time left in this uh, segment to talk about it, but I've always thought, have you played... I know you've played video games with mechanics like this, but have you played Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga? Don't think I have. Okay, so turn-based RPG. Um, known for what it calls bro moves, and there's a couple of turn-based RPGs and tactic RPGs that have this, um, where the characters have moves they do together, sort of like combo moves. Um, I would love... I would love that system in a TTRPG. Um, another listener shout out, please, if you know any that do it, I would love that. Um, or if you know any supplements for other systems, please shout out. But I would love the idea of having specific relationships. I feel that like lead that's like a specific superhero RPG mechanic or something. True, actually. But like you get a particular, if you're a, a younger sibling and an older sibling, they have their own sort of team strategies that revolve around the kid being nimble and the older sibling being protective and like those sorts of cool team up combo moves and stuff. And then if you're, a, if you're two brothers, you have like twin brothers, you have your own thing. Or if you're a husband and wife or a, a, anything like that, you have, they all have their own sort of specific combo moves that add to the battle, the flavor, and the mechanics. I think that's, I guess that's an evolution of this system I could see. That's something I would try and think about. Ah, awesome. But yeah, super interesting. It sounds like sounds like it was a lot of fun. I, I would love to see something like that happen. I'm sure there's something out there. Like the amount of TTRPGs I've seen getting made recently. There's so many. I, I, I love it. Everyone is so creative. I think it's good with the fool of uh, the wizards. <laughs> yeah, it's um look, it's nice to see the playing field opening up a little bit, I think. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> times are changing. Times are very much changing. Well, with that should we uh hop to a break? That sounds good to me. Welcome back everyone. We are going to talk about a nifty gadget. So on this section we talk about uh tools or programs or software or a really cool dice box or something that we uh, enjoy and think other people might enjoy. Let's do it. So for today, I've got um, less of a tool specifically, but more talking about map making in general. I've been doing a bit of it lately. Um, I use a tool called Incarnate and it is, I think, very good especially for the medium it's on. So it's a web-based map maker, has lots of tokens, um, really great terrain tools. My caveat is I think just with the limitation of, I think this is the same of any token-based system you use, sometimes the maps you make look quite similar to the maps other people make. Even like they, they might be of a completely different area in a world, like the geography might be completely different. But just the, the color schemes and style sometimes feel a bit the same. Yeah. Um, very, very familiar with Incarnate as well. Um, also use it very, very frequently and um, absolutely agree. Fantastic tool. Um, one of the only tools I consistently pay for. Um, all of my maps are the done. The price is pretty and good. I Look, it's decent enough that I just forget I'm paying for it. Um, which is very nice. It's something like 
I forget the AUD, but it's something like $50 a year or something like that, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, about that. So a month, that's that's very little. And look, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm privileged enough to be in a position that that is very, you know, that's very comfortable for me to spend on a tool like that. But um, there are a lot of tools out there that charge a lot more for, in my opinion, a lot less. So absolutely, the price is perfect. Um, I also agree with what you're saying that you do kind of wind up with uh, same maps compared to other people. Which, if if you're trying to design something for print, you know, to create um, a product, I guess could be an issue. But like for home games, and I'm also very lucky that none of my players do fucking anything TTRPG related outside of our game for the most part. So they've never seen any incarnate maps. So all of my maps look totally original to them. But I, I know what you mean. You have the same That's sort of amazing. brushes and the same sort of. Um, color swatches and like texture swatches and stuff and all of the coastlines and you said the tools are great and they are and i love the way it does coastlines i find it so satisfying i can sit there for hours drawing coastlines with their their landmass tool um but you can immediately tell when you look at a coastline whether or not it was made in incarnate so yes. double-edged sword there for sure now what you can do is upload a lot of your own assets but i mm. think a lot of people that get into using a incarnate are getting into it because they don't know how to make their own. Not they don't know how. You can just open up Photoshop or GIMP or something and draw something. Yeah, or crowns. Or crowns. What incarnate offers is a very put together style. Like all the things feel like they fit together. And mm-hmm. if you were to upload your own, it would feel like it wouldn't fit with the rest. So by the time you're finished, you'd have to have uploaded hundreds of tokens and uh, stamps and stuff to try and make your own vibe. And that will be diff- that will be completely different to what is on there, and then your maps will start feeling unique. But at that point, you've gone from a very easy-to-use map tool to like you spending probably hundreds of hours making stuff for this. And if you're not a like someone who's making... Maps as a living, I guess. Not maps as a living, but like like professionally making them for either other people's campaigns, your own stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're not a professional like, like in general. Said, um, then I think that's very hard to justify doing that. Hmm. The other thing you can do is buy stamp sets of something like Drive Through RPG, um, which I have done yeah, before. Yeah, right. They can be very hit and miss. Um, if you go with like something that's five star rated. It's good quality, but again, lots of people have bought it. So you're, yeah, you're then so getting the same into that sort of issue. The same problem. Um, so I think it's really hard. What uh, I was talking to Michael Doan, who we uh, did an episode with back, if you check episode four, I think it was, um, on Quagborg. He's been making some maps recently. He's using a Wonder Draft, I think. I have heard of that. I've never used it. Yep. Um, same sort of thing, though. You make maps that look like other Wonder Draft maps, which is fine. But what he's been doing is going over them in Photoshop using some of his own tokens, just doing right, some right. custom stuff in it to make it uh, kind of stand out, I guess. Um, one, he yeah. did a version of the map, which I thought was really cool. He got the map and just drew over it with like uh, the sort of territory. Uh, the line that's got the skips in it, like it's like a 
like a dotted line, but not dotted line. Dash, dash yeah. line. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. So that and it's called. So you can see all the different countries yeah. and stuff. And one version of that. I thought that was really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I've actually done exactly that as well with my incarnate maps. Whack it in Photoshop afterwards, and you know, have a have a play with it. it they're very good for that. Actually, they're a very good base. Yeah. So I think. If you if you're gonna do it sort of professionally, it does become like this is a base. Um, mm-hmm. I remember once I did try and just do something from scratch in Photoshop, and it just took too long. Like, yeah, if you're Photoshop, running a home game, I I don't see the point. I don't think it was for a home. I can't remember what I was doing it for. Maybe maybe in a home game. Um. But it just doesn't have the same like placement tools that you sort of need to be able to do what like Wonder Draft or Incarnate has. But then it has a bunch of other tools that are really good for making it like your vision. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, th- I think that's a pretty common trade off in art software. But I, what I would like about these these map softwares over trying to do it from scratch. And I know a lot of artists will probably encourage you just to <clears throat> j- just to take a crack from scratch, and that's great. But um, there is a very very low uh, barrier to entry with something like Incarnate. Like virtually everybody will be able to make decent quality maps that will elevate your game. And if you are just doing it for fun, if you are doing it for your home TTRPG game, like why not take advantage of that? Um, why not use those tools that are specifically designed for this to give you a head start? I do find with the maps I've made in, in Incarnate, so there's like a desert town run I did in my recent campaign, and just having a legend of like, this is where the market bazaar is. This is uh, some church. Here's a Here's a guy that like, he just has maps. He likes to have maps of different dungeons and all these other things. Um, and I, I did the dungeon thing there with um I just they would buy a map and I'd generate one. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, dungeon is uh, um, the lifesaver. Yeah, so like it when they went to town, them having a map, I, I guess it took a lot of the cognitive load off of the players that they were just like, here's a visual reference. We want to go here, 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 here. Um, I think I, I usually try and put like twenty points of interest or something like more than they will be able to visit. And sometimes as a GM, you need to do that where they need they need to have they, – they possibly can't visit everything because that gives mm-hmm. them the sense of like this is a big town. A sense um, of scale. Yeah, a sense of like, well, we are making actual choices because if there's only three things to do and you can do all those three things, then you don't feel like you've made a choice. You just feel like you've done everything in the town. Yeah, and all of those three things happen to directly be involved with the story and the party's interests and nothing else exists can uh, sort of take you out of the immersion a bit as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the players, I remember, yeah, in mine I put in um, there was an auction house, so they just went and started bidding on stuff. That's amazing. So that was that was an episode. <laughs> it, was, it was very weird. <laughs> But it, it was cool because I think um, they eventually they got a magic item out of that that, like, you know, no one was planning. It was really just like um, I was just looking at stuff that you can put into maps and I was like, oh, like an, like an auction house is like a, a big building that in those times, like, um, would have been a point of interest. And 
Yeah. You know, it, it was just a cool thing that had nothing to do with anything and it happened. Yeah. Yeah, that is very interesting. See, I conversely run Town's Theatre of the Mind, so this is making it sound very appealing to uh so I, I do for half of them. I, if I had, if I didn't have like a full time job and run like seventy two businesses, I would do more yeah. of this stuff. But no one I, I played with women. like is coming up with an auction house like that to the play. It's just like that's interesting and fun, and we weren't going to come up like you don't go into the town and be like where's the auction house? No, no, exactly. So it's something that because it existed on the map became its own yeah became its own point of interest became a something the players were interested in that like you said yeah they would never no one would say hey can we go to the auction although um i made the mistake of uh i say mistake it's probably one of my favorite sessions of uh having a tavern with a race course like uh it was dragon racing um I love wingless that. dragon racing um and so now a frequent question is uh do they have a racetrack? yeah do they, do they have a racetrack um so it's funny how those things sort of develop on their own. So I wonder if your players are now wondering if there's an auction house in every city they go to. That's fair. So I, I hope your players, instead of doing adventuring, just became professional jockeys. Oh, no, they wanted, um, they, they fixed the race. <laughs> they wanted to become criminal uh, masterminds. I mean, they that's want to go from it, town it, to town. They want crime. I just... Want to think that they didn't go back to adventuring? They just took this life up. If I had let them, if I didn't put my fucking railroading hat on and say no, we're doing an adventure now, they would have been very, very content living at the racetrack, fixing races for the rest of their lives. Oh, pretty interesting. Advent, like it'd be a, like a cool story. Like these are the adventurers that just became horse betting criminals. <laughs> yeah, if they all felt like just playing new characters, we'll, we'll leave them there. We did leave a player there, actually, which is pretty funny. And they're just off doing that now. It's fun to think back on. Yeah. <laughs> Get back to the map making. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of points of interest, though, like some of the common stamps that you see is like there's every style, like there's elven dwarves and that. They all have a dock. They all have a coliseum. They all have um, the tavern, like there's these points of interest that you would expect in every town and you do put them in, but like the auction house, I think there's a lot of room to expand with like things that, Oh, that's, that is interesting. We want to go there and they'll forget all about those common things. They're like, we know what happens at the Coliseum. We know like there might be an interesting story at the tavern, but we know what a tavern is. Yeah, so, so trying to add those hand waved. Yeah. Um, like here's a tavern. There's people drinking. These are the rumors you hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, you go there, you have drinks. We don't need to role play that for the seven thousandth time because there's something else interesting in this town. Yeah, but like some ideas I, I've had for putting into maps recently, um, rival groups. So like having a street and putting like um, like kind of like universities. So like the the Bard's College of like Pentagrast and the Bard's College of uh, Vasile or something like. At everyone in the town, like ha it has that kind of like sports rivalry, but it's like bard rivalry. It's basically yeah, the glee club idea, for fantasy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a very good <laughs> so, idea, to be honest. But like doing things like that, where like they go into the town and they're just like that, you can just have some plots around that, and 
everywhere yeah. else you go as well. Like you go to the tavern, you hear things about the rival colleges. You um, go to the shops. That shop has like the the blue insignia and everything in his shop is just like, oh, you, you buy this potion, you know, you also get like a button for um, the College of Pentagram. Like they have that. You can just theme a town that way. Um, and I've been thinking of doing things like that where it just adds so much character. You could be doing boring uh, stuff, but paint it in this way that there's so much background in the town. Mm, yeah, I think the facade is very important in role-playing games. Ah, the facade. Yeah, I, I find making maps helps with that. Mm-hmm. Like just tinge a bunch of buildings blue, tinge a bunch of buildings orange. Exactly. You know, you've there got- doesn't need to be anything behind them. As long as the players can look at them and see what's happening at face value and move on, that's fine. That adds a lot of depth, I think. Yeah, and what I do with a lot of my maps anyway is I just come up with a name saying, I'm like, if they go there, I'll create something, but... Um, I, I've known GMs that have like, oh, well, I've got to make sure there's something for every one of these things here. I'm like, they're going to visit three things. I'm not making 20 buildings full of NPCs. No, you don't need a functional city for every place the players visit. It doesn't need its own economy and trade routes and um, until it does. It's, uh, until, until it does. That's appropriate, yeah. Um, one thing I've seen, I think I saw it on a YouTube video, is um, they'll make it. Uh, someone will make a town that's got these twenty buildings, and then there's five NPCs. No matter where you go, you meet the first NPC. No matter where you go, you meet the second. The next place you go, you meet the second NPC. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels like they're meeting all these people that, like, oh my god, I can't believe you planned this person would be here. You didn't. Yeah, yeah. You were always going to meet. Like it's a railroad, not on a railroad. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of that method. The sort of Schrodinger's NPC or Schrodinger's plot point, where you know it's it's there when they look. Yeah, it's it, it. it's really good. <laughs> I think you can build a lot of that into your map making. Moral yeah. of the story: Go get yourself make, some incarnate, and I incarnate. <laughs> uh, I haven't done this yet, but I will encourage players to like maybe design like what they're. Uh, home building look like things like that like i would love to get the players more involved with that stuff and if you are a yeah. player and you're listening to this would that interest you i'd love to know yeah just show up uh, unannounced to your next session with a map of your hometown it will make your gm very happy i promise that'd be really cool though there'll always be that one player who's like this is the town of dragons like bobby we agreed there's no dragons in this world <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually half angel and my cousin is Naruto. I <laughs> uh, love it. Um, while we're on maps, uh, we should probably start wrapping up here, but I do, if people want to learn more about maps, um, definitely check out Incarnate. There are two content creators I would love to recommend if you're thinking about drawing your own maps or using Incarnate or maybe I've some combination some of the two. speed drawings on YouTube of some map creators and they make me want to not draw anything ever again (laughs) no but the thing i'm going to recommend too and the thing i love about these guys is um so much of their content is built around hey you can do this too um and that's mapcro and uh jp kuvert if you check those guys out they do amazing work two very different styles um so so encouraging um it's like having the most supportive art teacher dad ever stuff I've just done a deep dive on it's Mac fantastic. Pro. He does fantastic Thanks. work. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I just yeah, stumbled on the videos and just I've uh, been going down. Yeah, highly recommend. I, I'm glad you think so too. Um, so check out Incarnate. Check out those two guys. They do great work. Um, and you know what? Send us maps. Set, just, just send us maps of whatever. Just do it. Tweet us maps. Email us maps. In fact, if you want to tweet us maps, you can do that at uh, twitter.com slash treasures for now. While Twitter still exists, you can do that. Um, you can also email us at tabletoptreasurespod at gmail.com. Um, and uh, same thing, but .com for the website. Love a good .com. All right. We'll see you later, right, everybody. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for listening. Go get that treasure.